Welcome to the Blue Security Podcast, a weekly podcast for information security defenders, where we bring you discussions on best practices, tools, and implementation for enterprise security. Now, here are your hosts for today's show, Andy Ja and Adam Brewer. Welcome to this week's episode of the Blue Security Podcast. I'm Andy, your host. I'm Adam, your co-host. This week, we're going to be talking about securing intra-external identities. And the reason why I wanted to have this show, we had talked about this a while back and gone into a little bit on some of the external identity capabilities. But I had a listener ask me about securing specifically B2C identities. And so as part of the show, we'll talk about that. But I wanted to also go through many of the different types of external identities that you might have within Entra. And Entra being the new brand for what was formerly known as Azure Active Directory. So there are four different capabilities, fifth being one that we're kind of transitioning to, but the four that are within the documentation today are B2B collaboration, B2B direct connect, the old B2C, which we'll refer to as just the Entra ID B2C. There is something new called Entra external ID. And then finally, the Entra ID multi-tenant organization. So starting with B2B, this is business to business. So allowing external users from another M365 tenant to collaborate with your tenant on your O365 applications, your SaaS apps, line of business applications. When external users authenticate to your tenant via B2B, they're going to authenticate with their home organization. So in the Contoso Fabricam example, if I'm Contoso and Adam's part of Fabricam, I can invite him into Contoso, but he would still use his Fabricam ID as his authentication into my tenant. There would be a user object for him in my tenant, but no password associated with it because he would still be using his Fabricam identity to authenticate. And his object in my tenant can be managed just like any other user within that tenant. You can add roles to that user, even privileged roles if you wanted to. They can even be assigned IAM roles within like your Azure subscriptions, like contributor or co-owners to your Azure subscriptions. So it's managed just like a regular user objects. And you can also scope them to conditional access policies. If you notice in your conditional access policies, there's like all users that includes all your regular users and your guests, or you can exclude your guests, or you can just scope them to guests. So a lot of different things, treat them just like regular user objects. So those are resources that you can assign for authorization, like SharePoint resources, roles, all of that. But again, their authentication is still going to be through their home tenant. To secure these, the default way is to require MFA for those users to authenticate to your tenant. You could apply other conditional access policies, like limit them to specific IP addresses if you gave them access to your corpnet. Definitely, I would recommend not requiring a compliant device because <laughs> their home tenant probably will require a compliant device. And then you will be in conflict because you can only have one organization manage those devices. So anytime you have a conditional access policy for guest users, I would exempt the guest users from device management. And then another thing you can do is use Entra governance to conduct access reviews. So we talked about Entra governance before, but part of it is really great is you can have access reviews get scheduled for certain sensitive groups. So let's say global admins or exchange administrators or even resources. Like if you have a M365 group that has access to a SharePoint with very sensitive information, the access review will kick off and it'll say, these are the users that 
that are in that group. Is this correct? Then you can verify and go on with your day. But a lot of times is you can also schedule just a who are my guests in my tenant and do a review. Maybe from month to month, you can notice changes between you can do maybe do like a CSV diff and see who was added, who wasn't added, you know, who left. So that is a way to just kind of keep up on the guest users within your tenant. This is something customers ask us a lot. And by the way, I should mention Andy and I both work for Microsoft and we do talk to customers about this frequently. We're not involved with the product group who develops and maintains this solution. A lot of customers want to use this because it's really seamless. It allows you to bring in those external users who are maybe business partners or other organizations you work with to collaborate on documents where they live. And that's the really critical thing. You're not creating a copy of the document in another solution that can potentially be siphoned off to another device or another network. That document or that data that's being worked on and collaborated on together lives in your tenant and subject to all of your policies, your data retention policies, your information protection policies, your insider risk policies. And that way you don't lose sight of it. You don't lose control of it. So this is actually, if you in the past have put a blanket, like we don't bring external users in our environment, I'd ask you to reconsider that notion because if you're not doing this, then your people are sending copies of important documents via email to other companies where you have no visibility or control of it. They're putting it on flash drives. They're storing it in shadow IT or they're putting it on the other file shares where now you've increased your attack surface and your compliance surface. So reconsider this notion of not using this if you've adopted that posture, because I think this can actually be a more secure solution. And Andy touched on all the controls around the identities to manage. The other thing I'd like to point out is by default, when a guest user object is created in your directory, that has no standing access to anything out of the box. It doesn't have access to anything. So oftentimes they get the pushback from customers where they say, well, you know, we're not sure all we're going to have to lock down from our guest users. Well, nothing because they don't have access to anything other than like stuff on SharePoint that's open to everyone. That would be the one risk is like anybody with a user object can get to this in SharePoint. Okay, they can get to that. But like, they don't come out of the box with access to apps. They don't come out of the box with access to people's mailboxes or other environments. So overall, it's very opt-in. And then the other thing to point out is you can put a whole bunch of governance around this as far as who can create or invite guest users into your directory. I don't recommend you make that really complex. And here's why. Because the reason you're putting this in place is to enable collaboration, to enhance productivity. And all of the different solutions have the ability to do that invitation organically through the system you're using. So for example, if you're in Microsoft Teams and you want to invite another user to collaborate on your team, you can do that through the Teams UI. It will invite the guest user through Entra ID, bring them in, and then assign them access to that Microsoft 365 group. And now that object's been created, that user's been invited, and they've been given access to that one thing. If you make it so that somebody has to open a ticket, help desk has to create the object, then you have to go back and invite the user after the object object's been created, it's possible that spark of creativity, that spark of productivity has been lost now that you've created all this process around it. So Andy mentioned all the right ideas here. Put conditional access policies in place. Make sure you're using those access reviews to review those guest user objects. Make sure you still need them. And then understand as well, you don't control the credentials or the auth N piece of this. You only control the auth Z or authorization part of this, which reduces you know your responsibility here. You don't have to worry about the strength of their credentials because 
is that's not for you to manage that happens in their home tenant. So anyhow, this is great. As far as like licensing and cost, by default, just to bring a guest user in, there's no cost. The only time there can potentially be a cost is if you want to give them access to premium features like access reviews or conditional access policies. Now, there's two different ways that can work, but the modern way to do it is you get up to 50,000 external identities at no cost, and then you can pay basically it's like fractions of a cent per additional users above and beyond that. So for the overwhelming majority of organizations, unless you have an inordinate number of guests, you should not have to pay to bring anybody in with B2B. But you can check with your Microsoft account team if you want clarity on that. But for the most part, this is essentially an included benefit for most Microsoft 365 customers. So really good stuff here and really not that hard for you to manage because your control surface that you have to manage as a security professional is relatively minimal. There's a new feature in Entro called B2B Direct Connect. And this is a new way to collaborate. Currently, it only works with Microsoft Teams shared channels. I'm sure it's going to open up to other parts of the Microsoft productivity suite. But this is where you can create a two-way trust relationship with another Azure AD organization so that you can allow them to seamlessly sign in to your shared resources and vice versa. So B2B Direct Connect users aren't added as guests to your Azure Active Directory tenant or your intro tenant. When the two organizations mutually enable us, so there is a two-way trust, so both organizations have to enable the trust, users will still authenticate with their home organization, and then they'll receive a token for the resource organization for access. So in this case, if we as Contoso and Fabricam here have a two-way trust, Adam is still going to authenticate with Fabricam, and he's going to receive a token from Contoso in order to access the Contoso resources. And because there's a two-way trust, there's no other security policies. You're depending on that other organization to secure the access. So that organization would hopefully be mirrored to your security policies in device management, MFA policies, all of that. So that's where the two-way trust comes in. So anytime you're doing this, you definitely want to have some sort of review between the two security teams to make sure everything's still up to standards. This is that thing called tenant friending that had been rumored and was borderline vaporware for a very long time, finally coming to reality. And the reason it gets that kind of nickname is because it more closely closely resembles the Facebook model where we both have to opt in to become a friend. Somebody has to say add friend and somebody has to say accept friend as opposed to more like the Twitter model where it's I can follow you and I don't need your permission to do that. You can follow me back if you want to, but that's a separate thing. This is that two-way trust like Andy talked about. So it's really, really cool because it's completely seamless. You just get in that shared channel and you can just work together. There's not a whole lot of setup involved to make it happen. It appears in both users, teams, clients, and and if you've ever worked with multiple organizations where I have to go to that drop down at the top and switch tenants and teams, you don't have to do that with this model either. So it's definitely the future of collaboration. And I'm excited to see this come to more Microsoft technologies, but you can use it today. It's available in those Microsoft Teams shared channels. And we'll have a link in the show notes to the doc to learn more, but not the same thing as the first thing we talked about, but certainly related because the use cases are related. Again, is this something you'll use with like your trusted business partner? partners or organizations you work very closely with. And as 
Sandy touched on, you definitely need to have a pretty high level of trust and mutual security standards because you're creating that two-way trust. I can see this being super helpful for acquisitions and mergers mm -hmm. where Absolutely. you might have two different tenants and then you can just start collaborating right away once you establish that two-way trust. Mm -hmm. So B2C, that is our next topic that we wanted to talk about. This is where you're building customer-facing or client-facing or external-facing access solutions. So it's a customer identity and access management solution. You're building consumer-facing applications. Customers can sign in with an identity that they've already established, You know, maybe with Facebook or Gmail or Apple ID, or you can create an identity within the B2C tenant and use that to authenticate to your application. So think of this like a bunch of different places. I think, Adam, you had the Culver's app and you were signing in with Culver's mm -hmm. and they use Azure B2C. Mm -hmm. There's a bunch of companies that do that. You know, Okta has the same thing. You're basically building a facing app where someone like a customer or consumer will sign into it. Now, securing your B2C architecture can be complicated in some sense. Now, securing the B2C access, that is dependent on your security policies, right? So if I'm in Contoso and I'm building an external portal for our apps or our food or whatever, our shopping portal, I can secure access to that B2C tenant, which is a totally different tenant than my home corp tenant. You can scope conditional access policies, device management policies around access to that B2C tenant. So that's one thing that you can do as far as securing access to it. As far as the consumer accounts that are then signing into that portal that you're creating identities to, there are a subset of conditional access policies that are available. There are some policies based on location or user base or group base policies. You also have some risky sign-in policies depending on your licensing with Entra ID. So there are ways to do that, but think of it like if you're signing into a, like Culver's, mm -hmm. you're not going to want to put a ton of conditional access policies <laughs> around that authentication. <laughs> right? Don't make it harder than I have to get my Butterburger, man. Exactly. Now, if you're signing in with like a bank, maybe mm -hmm. there might be some extra conditional access policies that you'll put on that sign in. Mm -hmm. So it really depends on the application that you're building. And then on top of that, the architecture behind it. Now, depending on your application, your solution, you may have a lot of different components that you want to think about protecting your sign in or sign up flows that will happen your email OTP if you're emailing an OTP a one-time password to that consumer to type in MFA controls external APIs like if you're connecting your systems to an API connector you might need to protect the interface from those malicious requests to your rest APIs so you know you might need to use a WAF to protect so you might have to have external protections on your architecture and then on top of that, if you're building a web portal, there's going to be code as part of that web portal, right? So you're going to want to do application security and test that code and test that web portal for vulnerabilities for libraries that are vulnerable. So there's a lot to think about when it comes to B2C architecture. But as far as the identity is concerned, a lot of that is part of your SaaS service as Microsoft. We're going to protect a lot of the code for the authentication itself. You may have to think about some conditional access policy based on the application you're building. But outside of that, it's fairly 
fleshed out solution. There's not a whole ton that you have to do. The whole purpose of going with a CIAM solution like an Entra ID B2C is offloading the responsibility of your app dev team to create an entire identity infrastructure. And there's a lot of orgs that have already done it, know a lot of the challenges with it and provide that at very, very low cost. So Entra ID B2C, if you look at the pricing for it, it uses that same external identities model I mentioned earlier. Up to first 50,000 users is essentially free, even for the premium features. And then you start paying fractions of a penny for incremental users above and beyond that. So depending on the monthly active users of your customer-facing app, you may not need to pay anything at all. It can be very inexpensive. So this is a great solution for those use cases. I agree. I think the security is more on the app dev side then it really is the identity component. There is some configuration you can do. You can set conditional access policies, sign-in flows, that sort of thing. And that's going to depend on what kind of application you're using. So yes, you're right. I noted that Culver's uses it. I saw the b2clogin.com domain. That's what tipped me off to it. The other one that I use, my energy provider, MidAmerican Energy, also uses it for me to sign in and view my electric bill and my gas bill every month. So I'm not revealing anything like customer private, by the way. I'm saying this is literally public. You know, this is OSINT. You can go see it for yourself. And that one does support MFA, right? I don't really need MFA for my Culver's account, but for my... For my electric bill, sure, yeah, that's not a bad thing. I'll turn it on. And so, you know, you as the app developer, do you want to make it required? Do you want to make it optional opt-in? Like you can do all those things. The other thing to know is most of these B2C providers do allow you to use a federated identity with them where you don't even have to manage storing an identity or credentials. So while B2C does support the ability to have an identity store and manage identities yourself and set password policies and those sorts of things, you can give users the option to just leverage an identity they already have. Whether that's a worker school account with Microsoft, that could be a social network, a Facebook account as an example, WeChat, etc. So you can meet customers where they are and allow them to bring their own identity as well and just use that federated identity provider. And then you don't even have to manage that. You know, you don't get calls like, hey, I need to reset my password. Like call Facebook, it's your Facebook password. So those are options too. And you can mix and match, right? You can give users the option to federate an identity or to use their own. And by the way, since we're all security practitioners listening here in in general, you know, the guidance is don't use federated identities for these sorts of offerings. You should create your own on each one and use a unique passcode. You know, that way you are spreading out, you know, your risk more than having all your eggs in the proverbial basket, like tied to your Facebook identity or something. So anyhow, yeah, this is cool stuff. There's definitely some options to secure it. And I think Andy, you did a good job going over most of those, but just be aware this is isolated and separate from your internal enterprise directory. So if you're concerned about that, don't. It's logically separated and it's a completely separate thing you actually like andy said stand up a separate tenant to do this yeah and what i was saying was access to that tenant could be secured via your court policies so but yeah you're not going to have any customers in that b2c any identities that can have access to your corp resources that mm-hmm. won't happen mm-hmm. so the one that we'll touch on briefly is microsoft Entro external id and funny enough i originally <laughs> had named the show external id and then when we were talking over the pre-show adam told me hey like that's actually the name of a new solution that we have and so voila we're going to 
going to talk about it a little bit. I actually don't know a ton about this, but it is a new customer identity and access management solution that we're migrating essentially our B2C offering. That's not going away. You can still use B2C, but this is going to be a new modern way of doing that essentially. Mm-hmm. Adam, do you have any more information that you can give our listeners? <laughs> yeah. And dear listener, if this is confusing, it confused me too. I actually put my foot in my mouth, figuratively speaking, with a customer where I assured them that B2C and this were the same thing. This is just a new name. That was incorrect. It is not. So like Andy said, B2C will continue forward. If you are using it and you want to keep using it, great. If you need to stand up something today or yesterday and get it done really, really quick, you're still going to be using B2C. If you have a longer runway and you would like to use the new thing, Microsoft Entra External ID is our future next gen CIAM solution, kind of rebuilt from the ground up. It's in public preview currently, so not something you want to put in production today. But if your roadmap kind of aligns with the roadmap for this solution, you may just want to start here and build with us as we build out the new solution. And that way you're on the next gen solution day one. It also does not have complete feature parity with B2C today. So you may run into scenarios that aren't supported in it yet. But as far as where Microsoft's headed, eventually the B2C solution um, may maybe sunset. There's no plans to do that just so we're super clear. But on an infinite timescale, you know, enter external ID is the future path forward. So kind of plan appropriately depending on what your CIAM needs are. And that can help kind of chart your course. But since this is in public preview, there hasn't been pricing announced yet or anything like that. It's something you can try out at no cost today and start to build out. And like I said, build with us as we bring this and forward and get it ready to become generally available in the near future. So two solutions, it's a little bit confusing, but when you have two solutions in parallel and they do the same thing, like how do you differentiate them? Well, you kind of keep the old name for the old thing and you give a new name to the new thing. So there you go. Okay, our final topic is multi-tenant. And this is something that has been requested for a very, very long time Mm -hmm. and is fairly new. It is generally available, I believe, now. It was in preview for a little while. But this is where you have more than one instance. So essentially a little bit different than the B2B Direct Connect because that is more on collaboration. And this is more on the syncing of identities between multi-tenants. And so different use cases, but still kind of related in that sense of external IDs. And so if you have multiple organizations, multiple tenants, you can now sync those external users between them and not have to bounce back and forth. So one is used as what's called a target tenant, and then you have a source tenant, and you can have multiple source tenants syncing into a single target tenant. So again, we'll use the Contoso Fabricam example here. If I'm the Contoso and I'm the target tenant and Adam is Fabricam and he's the source tenant, his users will then be added into my tenant as guest users or external users. There is a configuration that has to be done to make this possible to sync between the two. But what happens is let's say a user from Adam's tenant leaves and we delete them. What the syncing will do is delete automatically the guest user from my tenant. And so that's one example, but also like updating if you were to update any information on a user or if you create a user, if you create a user within the source tenant, it will then automatically create a guest user within the target tenant. And so this makes, again, some IEM activities that may be you know, manual where I had to go and create someone in my tenant and because they were in the other tenant. And so all of that can be a little bit more seamless, especially if you are a multi 
multi-tenant organization, if you have different subsets of companies, or if you go through mergers and acquisitions and you need to get those folks on, again, like you have the one target tenant, you can't sync a source to multiple tenants, but you can sync multiple sources to a single tenant. So if you have a parent company, mm -hmm. you can have multiple sources that are feeding in and creating those guests. So I think this is a great thing. It's been asked for by many customers for a very, very long time. And now it's finally in production. A lot of organizations that have that kind of parent company and operating company model have struggled with how to architect their Microsoft 365 environments. And they tend to do a single tenant model to simplify the collaboration between companies. But then that runs into its own challenge because the Microsoft data segregation model is overwhelmingly built around separate tenants. Like data isolation between tenants is really good. You know, stuff does not move freely between tenants. So you want a wall between your orgs? Well, there you go. But if you start to put everything in one tenant, there's only so many capabilities around data isolation in the same tenant because the answer has always been if you want really strong data isolation, put it in two tenants. Anyhow, all that to say, this now enables you to actually build that like parent company tenant and then separate tenants for each operating company. And now, like you said, Andy, I could do a source from each operating company as a source and then set the parent company as the target. So now that parent company tenant has all of the user objects as guest objects from each individual operating company. Now let's use an example. Let's say they all operate with a single centralized HR department. HR is managed by the parent company and everyone wants to get to HR web to review HR policy. Well, they can all have a link to that SharePoint site in each of their tenants. And if the user clicks it, they'll just do B2B essentially, sign in to the parent organization, view the SharePoint site, and it'll work just fine. It'll work seamlessly. Previously, that was really hard because you didn't have a great way to keep those guest objects in sync in that parent environment of like, hey, as people join or leave each operating company, how do I know about that? How do I get that reflected in the parent environment? There wasn't a good way to do that before. So that's really where the benefit is, is for those kind of models. And it now enables those conglomerate type companies to create better isolation for their operating companies by having them in their own tenant, which is really where they belong unless you're really, really integrated together. So I think this is a huge win. This is going to change the way a lot of companies architect their Microsoft 365 environments entirely. That'll be a longer time frame, I think, because I mean, most companies already have it configured and changing it is, you know, changing your tenant models really hard. But as M&As go forward and companies divest and bring on more, I think you'll see more adoption of this over time for those scenarios, which is what you pointed out here. This is great for M&A type scenarios. So definitely kind of a big deal for people. It is a big deal. If you're a smaller shop and you don't do a lot of M&A, you may say, I don't care. But for the people who care, they really, really care about this. This is a big deal uh, for something as silly as that. That really, really helps being able to have that kind of parent tenant that everyone can get to. And then everyone can kind of have their own tenant too. So that makes this a lot easier to stand that up and maintain it. Hopefully you guys learned something about external identities. <laughs> Even going through this documentation, there were a few things that I picked up. So you know, always good to mm -hmm. review. There's always new features coming out. Stuff is in preview and then goes generally available. So that's why we have this show because there's always things that are changing. <laughs> and you thought we'd run out of things to talk about. <laughs> I did. I thought we would run out within the first year. Well, what's this going to be? Show 152 when we post this? Something like that? Show 151. 151? 
Okay. Yeah. So, and this is 47 of this year. So we are almost into year three of this podcast. So we're, we've been going a while now. Wrapping up year three, starting year four. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well, that's our show for this week. Thanks for watching and listening as always. Our contact information will be in the show notes if you have any questions or topics you want us to talk about. Thanks. We'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for listening to the Blue Security Podcast. Please check out the show notes, catch up on episodes you may have missed, and subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Find Andy on Twitter at AJawZero and Adam at AJ Brewer. See you at our next episode.